I want to add my Christmas greetings and welcome to all of you, and hopefully the, the cheer and the joy of this season is becoming contagious for each and every one of you. In fact, in this time of year, we're not talking about so much what happened at Christmas this year in terms of what happened in the manger and all the different aspects of the star and Bethlehem. We're talking about the difference that Christmas makes. What difference does Christ coming make in your life and mine. And there's a lot of different ways to talk about it. But with rising rates of despair and anxiety and fear, what we've been talking about at this time of year is recovering our joy. Asking God to help to restore the joy in our lives that seems to have been lost. And that actually there was a New Testament letter that was specifically geared towards this. It's the book of Philippians. And so we're looking at each chapter during the season. And we first talked about gratitude. And we talked about how gratitude isn't just some vague devotional mood or feeling, but that gratitude is actually these three different attributes. It means that you have your confidence in the right place, that your consistency in the right kinds of practices, and that you're living in community with the right kind of purpose. And then we talked about last week about humility. And in humility, we discovered that when we truly become humble, not just some tips or some hacks or some tricks to appear less, to appear less proud, but to become more humble, humble, that means that even our emptiness becomes fullness, that even our bondage or our slavery becomes freedom, and even eventually our death becomes life once again. This week, we are going to talk about the subject of resiliency. And as we dive into this, I want you to hear the same scripture, the excerpts of Philippians 1 through 4 that we're doing each week. And I want you to hear and sear of any of the overtones of what does it mean for us to be resilient or to persevere. The Apostle Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion and it's right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart for all of you sharing God's grace with me both in my imprisonment as well as the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And for God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and with full insight, helping you to determine what is best so that on the day of Jesus you may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation from love, if there's any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others best better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind of Christ be in you who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave and being found in human likeness and being born in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and complaining, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God in the midst of a warped and crooked generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe. And yet whatever gains I have, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ, and more than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as a waste in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. Because I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained it or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And so rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will stand guard at your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so finally, beloved, whatever's true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that is excellent, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have heard and seen and learned and received in me, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a classic encounter of what happens in medical school orientations. My father even recalls a time when he visited a medical school and the dean shared roughly the same thing with him. He ended up not going to that medical school, by the way. They basically say, turn to the person on your left, turn to the person on your right, one of the three of you will not be here by the time we are done with you. It's this sinister and condescending and even a little bit sadistic kind of form of orientation. Which is why I'm hesitant because hopefully I have different motives that I'm about to do something quite similar. (laughs) Today is Confirmation Sunday. We have 104 eighth graders who are entering into the threshold of membership into the church, making their professions of faith. Nine of them making their first time professions of faith and being baptized. 
And as I kept thinking about this week, I couldn't help but thinking about this graph. And the reality of many of those enthusiastic high school students are going to be gone. I don't mean just gone to college. I mean they're going to drop out. In fact, the statistic is clear. The statistic is is that 43% of people who are active in their church and high school have nothing to do with church or an active community of faith in their 20s. And so hopefully I'm not being sadistic and mean and condescending when I say this. But can we make sure that that's not our story? And if so, what can we do to make sure that that isn't what happens in and through the process of disciple-making here in Peachtree? You know, when the Apostle Paul is writing his letter, because, by the way, there's nothing new under the sun, he's writing about how they need to cultivate a sense of gratitude and an age of entitlement. That's certainly something we need to deal with today. And then in the second chapter, he deals with how we need to Uh, We need to rediscover a sense of humility in an age of pride. That's nothing new today. And by the time we get to the third chapter, we deal with the subject of resiliency or perseverance. And you will hear these types of words in Philippians chapter 3 in this segment of Scripture. Talk about safeguarding the faith. Talk about holding fast to the faith. And talking about standing firm in the faith. And so this is clearly at the top of mind that Paul is dealing with a similar situation as he writes to those Christians about how they might do that. Stand firm, hold fast, and be safeguarded in their faith. And so just ever so briefly today, I want to reflect on Philippians chapter 3 and what Paul says and discover how is it that we fall away. We fall away from a lack of value a lack of knowledge, and a lack of effort. First, let's talk about the lack of value that causes somebody to fall away. Paul uses the language like this. He says it like this. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish or as waste. That's not a very nice term in the original Greek. We're not allowed to say this word in church today if I was going to translate it accurately for you. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul turns to the language of finance or accounting to try to make his first clear point. He talks about gains and he talks about losses. In fact, before this, Paul talked about his resume. He talked about being circumcised on the eighth day. He talked about his education, his being reared, his dedication to what it is. And he says, all of these things I regard as a loss in comparison to Christ. I don't know if you remember the, the story of 
Jesus and Peter reconciling after the cross and the resurrection, where Peter goes back to fishing and Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Nod your head if at least you've heard me talk about this or this is somewhat of a familiar story to you. Okay, do you love me? But specifically it says, not just do you love me, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? You know what? We, we all, for the most part, value Jesus. Think Jesus is good. Jesus is helpful. Jesus was a good guy, pretty good teacher. The question is, do you value Jesus more than other things? Because I watch a lot of people who say, I value Jesus, I prioritize Jesus. But then you say, do you value Jesus more than where you went to school? Do you value Jesus more than your job? Do you value Jesus more than your family? Do you value Jesus more than your goals, your success? Almost everybody will say, I like Jesus. It's only in those moments of testing and in those moments where we have to put Jesus in the hierarchy of our lives that we realize, is this really of value to you or not? And so as you think about your own life and the gains and the losses, the balance sheet of your life, the scorecard of your life, where is Jesus in that scorecard for you? And not just what you say, but in the way that you love. And so the first way that Paul talks about people falling away is that there is a lack of value, that they don't put Jesus as the priority in the first as the way that Jesus as Lord can only be. And the second way that we have a tendency to fall away is a lack of knowledge. And I don't specifically mean a lack of knowledge in the sense of a head knowledge, although there is some head knowledge of that. Look at this scripture here and say this with me in unison. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is not about knowing about Christ. This is not knowing of Christ. This is about knowing Christ. And yes, there are some things that, that experientially come along with that, the power of the resurrection, the sharing even in his sufferings. And even the experience and the knowledge of becoming more like him. I want to share with you an image of somebody that you're probably quite familiar with. Does anybody know who this is? Famous tennis player. This is Roger Federer. He has won 103 singles titles on tour, 20 grand slams, in a little tournament called Wimbledon, he's won eight different times. Roger's recently retired. He's got a little more free time than he usually has. And so he's on his way back from Asia, coming back into Europe. He's in London, and he's like, you know what? I've never really got to spend any time at Wimbledon unless it was a tournament I was competing in. I would like to have tea at Wimbledon. 
Now, as a part of the backstory for this, you understand that if you win Wimbledon, you actually become a member of the All England Club. And so Roger Federer pulls up in his car, and he goes to the gate. And he said, excuse me, I'd like to know where the entrance is. I would like to come in. And the security guard's like, you got to be a member. And Roger Federer's like, I, 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 I am a member. And the security guard says, do you have your membership card? And Roger Federer's like, we have membership cards? <clears throat> the security guard doesn't recognize Roger Federer. And Roger Federer is like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a member. I've... I've won this tournament eight times. And the security guard doesn't let him in. Has to go to another entrance to where another security guard lets, recognizes him and actually lets him in. And he gets to have tea at Wimbledon. There's a haunting moment where Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven and on that day, I will say to you, I never, I never knew you. I know plenty of people who go through the motions at church and want the transaction of what they think faith provides. But they don't want to know Christ. They don't recognize him. They don't spend time with him. And so you just need to understand that there's more to this operation of what we call church than just having a membership card and gaining access to something. It's about knowing someone. And so people will fall away. If Jesus is not of a value to you with a lack of value, people will fall away from faith if there is a lack of knowledge, relational knowledge, not transactional knowledge. And thirdly, people fall away from a lack of effort. A lack of effort. Listen to what Paul says in this way. Not that I've already attained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. If in the first analogy, Paul uses language of gains and losses like accounting, and if in the second one, he uses relational language in terms of knowledge, in this one, Paul uses athletic imagery, straining forward, pressing on, leaning in to try to get to the goal, to the, to the prize. And I think there's a lot of people who misunderstand the nature of grace is to say that what happens is just automatic. And you understand that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And let me see if I can illustrate for you. 
There are one and a half million of these types of cars on the streets of the United States. Tesla is one of the uh, leaders and is the leader in terms of the electronic vehicle market out on the roads today. But there is a feature within these cars that is controversial and causes a little bit of a problem. It's a driving assistance program that they call autopilot which enables you to take your hands off the wheel and allow the car to drive for you. There were 275 accidents that we know of that were attributed to Tesla Autopilot last year, and last year was the first year somebody was brought up on vehicular manslaughter because somebody exited a highway in autopilot and it didn't decelerate, and he didn't decelerate, and at the end of the access road, ran through a red light and killed another person in an accident. Didn't break, because the car was in autopilot, and the autopilot didn't see the light. They have a term for this in the industry. It's known as automation complacency that as our cars become more and more sophisticated, and as our cars are able to do more and more things, you and I become more and more passive in our driving of the car because we think the car is just supposed to run and do this thing for us. Do you think that that might happen to somebody in regards to their spiritual life and their life of faith? That we just think, hey, if I go to church a little bit, if I bring my kids to church, I can be on Christian autopilot. And it instills a sense of complacency where we lose what the Apostle Paul was telling us, that the faith is something that you press into. It's something that you strive for. It's something that you seek. The Apostle Paul has, to me, one single image that kind of ties all of this together. I wonder if you would say this famous scripture with me in chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But our citizenship, our identity, our worth, our security, our value isn't from here. It's from heaven. There's a true story of a boy with his family, and his name is John. Here's a picture of his family. Originally, they were from Nigeria, and then they spent time in Laos because of persecution and fear, immigrated in the midst of loss and warfare to the country of Greece. John and all three of his other brothers were born in Greece. And while they were there, they were evicted numerous times. The parents struggled to be able to get, even though they had more skills, they struggled with the qualifications to be able to get a job that would help them to have a more stable way of life. Some of John's earliest memories are of being six years old with little brothers in tow as they went from 
vacation beach to vacation beach in Greece trying to sell trinkets and sunglasses and sunscreen in order to try to be able to earn enough extra money to be able to stay. They didn't have paperwork anymore from their old country. They certainly didn't have paperwork from Laos when they were at that time there, and they didn't have a real status in Greece as well. They were stuck. They didn't know where they belonged. And like many in their situation, they lived a great portion of their life in fear and in hiding. But in the longing of their story, a family who was very active and loved soccer all of a sudden discovered this game that was called basketball. And having never played basketball as a child, John picked up a basketball, a coach saw something in him and in his other brother, and they began to train and to work. And the coach had never seen anybody with a greater work ethic and a greater passion, a greater listening spirit and teachable spirit. And it was only a handful of years into him playing basketball that he became discovered. This boy that I'm describing as John, you probably know him by his Greek version of the same name, Giannis. Giannis Antetokounmpo. And as a pastoral aside, if you haven't seen the movie Rise, that is the biopic of the backstory of his family, even if you've never been to Milwaukee like me, you will become a Giannis fan. The reason I bring this up is this. Giannis and his family did not have citizenship until he became an NBA basketball player. And as Giannis plays, he has a different drive and desire than the typical basketball player that plays in the United States today. He has a different attitude towards his family and as he received Greek citizenship, and as he received Nigerian citizenship, he became somebody who was rooted in a people and in a country, but most of all, as they as a family were rooted in the faith of Jesus Christ. The one thing that that family would publicly do even when they were in danger in Greece is they never stopped going to church. They didn't fall away. They had all the excuses in the world to not go to church. And yet they went anyway. What's your excuse or mine? And so when you think about the Apostle Paul and his warning about those who fall away, Think about the priority and the relationship and the effort of what we put into faith today. 
And let's bring that before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, help us to recover our joy this morning. And we know that our joy cannot just be fleeting happiness or circumstance driven, but it has to be a deep and abiding perseverance, a resilience that in any and all circumstances we can find that our story is rooted in your story. And so will you safeguard this flock and help us to hold fast and to stand firm, help the drop off of what happens to a typical American teenager and American Christianity not be our narrative. And so may we prioritize you and value you more than anything else that we have. Help us in the midst of the gains and the losses to cling to the gain of Christ. And Lord, help us to know you, to not see this as some mere transaction of faith, but to recognize you and to be near to you. And finally, God, forgive us for being on autopilot and help us to not be complacent with regards to our faith and understanding that it requires pressing on, straining forward, and that our citizenship, our value, our identity comes from heaven itself. And if that is true, O oh God, it means that we are the kind of people who can always hold fast to you because you have held firm to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.